0: That's why I wholly lean on the Word of God, because I know it's right. The Word of God is right, and I'm wrong. But uh, I pray that the Lord will bless us tonight on a little bit of a study that I came up with, the book of Proverbs. Before we go to the Word of God, let us go to the Lord in prayer. We'll wait a few minutes while everyone's getting seated. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Proverbs chapter 1. This will simply be a little introduction to the book of Proverbs. My son, he just turned 12. Wow. Yeah, the young one. And I, I told him I was going to var mitzvah him by reading the Proverbs to him. I said, you're no longer 11, you're 12, you're a young man. So... Is he what? Is he busy? busy? No, is he missing? Tonight? No, when you to about you going to find but... I'm not sure I understand. That, that's normal for me to know where. In other words, you scare him? Is he missing? He can't be found. No, no, I trap him. <laughs> he's still young enough where I can wrestle him down. My oldest son, it's like, forget it, you know? But uh, no, he's not missing, not yet. Um, But when he goes missing, he'll have the word, and that's what I'm praying for. Because you need the Proverbs, they really help. And uh, I hope we can see some of that tonight. I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I don't know about you, but the Lord is good. Um, I don't get to speak much. When I was in fourth grade, my fourth grade teacher said we need to all say how now brown cow together to work the muscles in the mouth and get exercise to be able to speak. But I'm praying that the Lord will speak through me and bless you this evening. So let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our only way to you. And I'm just praying that you would bless tonight's message, tonight's study In the simplicity of your word, although it be complex, Lord, have mercy upon us this evening. Bless every heart here, every mind, every seeing eye and hearing ear. You've made them both, so we're praying that we would see wonderful things out of your law and that we would hear things that will not only be heard, but that will be used and utilized for us, your people, as we traverse this world that you've created Lord, have mercy upon all those who are still traveling out here or those who are out in the internets. Lord, we pray that your word would bless them as well. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So tonight will be just an introduction into the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, there's a Hebrew word that means to be like. And that word is mashal. What do you think that means? To be like. We know that the word of God had come down in the form of a man. The word was made flesh and it dwelt among the disciples. And we trust in that one who came down from heaven, who condescended. He was the word made flesh and dwelt among us. So when we look at the book of Proverbs, every instruction and every piece of advice and every admonition, every warning, every piece of advice, every bit of knowledge which works itself into wisdom that will make application in our lives to be able to conduct ourselves in a world that is totally contrary to the word of God. So to be like would to be like Christ. So if you can take these words that we're reading tonight, and we'll just be reading chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Take those words, apply them to yourself. Ask God to make you more like Christ. These are the words that teach us how to be like Him. Because He obeyed every word perfectly. So when you read the Proverbs What you're reading is who Jesus Christ is by how he conducted himself. And you can take these Proverbs and look at the life of Christ in the Gospels and see every one of them being applied, which would last you your whole lifetime. You can just look at everything you see here. There's also warnings and things of that nature that would warn us against false religion, the false church, the harlot woman, and the virtuous woman. So, let's read chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, so we can get it out there and chew the cud. Starting at verse 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment and equity to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction so here we see proverbs opening up most of the proverbs came from solomon the huge bulk of them if you're to study antiquity and most theologians not all of the proverbs were solomons but most of them were What you see here in Proverbs chapter 1 opening up is a relationship between a father and a son. Now, did Solomon have any sons? Well, he did have one son, according to um, theologians. His name was Rehoboam. You can read about him in 1 Kings 14.21, and he had this from his first wife one year before he became king, he also had two daughters, Basmath and Tapath. So in one regard, you can see that he is acting as a father, and he's historically giving advice to his son, perhaps. But more than that, more than what we're seeing in just that aspect of a literal father speaking to a literal son, what we can see is the illusion of God the Father speaking to god the son the lord jesus christ would you believe that you believe that all right so when solomon was young and he was born out of scandal he was the second son of bathsheba the first son had died you remember the story of bathsheba david committed adultery with bathsheba and uh, that baby ended up going to heaven, and then he had Solomon. So he was born out of scandal. And what I've learned throughout all of Scripture is that anytime somebody becomes wise, it's generally out of scandal. It's out of sin. It's out of wickedness. It's out of things that aren't perfect. But God uses these people because... You begin to learn a lot quicker when you're going through trouble and trials and tribulations. Wouldn't you find that to be so? I think that's why we're all here for Tuesday night in prayer, right? But you're blessed. You're blessed because God gives wisdom to people that are in those situations. Even David would say, don't give me too much, lest least I forget you. And don't give me too little, lest least I find myself begging so it just balances the Lord's delight. But when we go through trials and tribulations, especially with family members, family, world events where we're suffering, it draws us closer to Christ. Two times I heard this week, and I think it comes from a Roman Catholic tradition, and it said that the devil doesn't want people to go through trials and tribulation. he will just leave you alone so that you won't call upon God. Now, I find that to be true, but remember, the devil is God's dog. And he's not going to do anything outside of God's sovereign decree. And God will put you through the trial, not the devil. The devil might be used, but he's not the one in control of that trial. It's God. And so Solomon, early on, would see these things with his father, David, and all the trouble that David had to go through. And David was a wise man. He was a man after God's own heart, so he had to learn these things. But let's put 1 Kings 3-7 on the screen to kind of give us an idea of what happened with Solomon when he was asking for wisdom. He was very young. And so the question I would have is, was this wisdom just automatically given to him? Or did he have to go through experiences to attain this wisdom and knowledge? I would say the latter, because through experience is when wisdom is gained. So he would have to ask, And now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made your servant king instead of David, my father, and I am but a little child. Now remember, unless you humble yourself as a little child... You can't enter into the kingdom. When you're humble, then you're exalted. When you exalt yourself, you're abased. So it's starting out of humility, and he's asking the Lord for wisdom. I know not how to go out or to come in. He's asking the Lord, I need help. And the Lord does give it to him, but he had to go through so much to get this type of wisdom To be able to tell sons and daughters that would come into the kingdom throughout every generation. So that's why we read in the book of James if you want to get wisdom, ask the Lord for it and he will give it liberally. You have not because you ask not, right? Ask the Lord for wisdom and see how much trial and tribulation you go through and how much it'll stick after that. It doesn't go away after that, you get to keep it, it's yours. It's a gift, but you have to go through so many things to get there. Now, just to give big picturesque um, visions for you to see what I'm talking about here. Solomon, after he had asked for these things and he started to rule in the kingdom between 970 and 931, his first wife was out of Egypt but that wasn't the first wife. He had 699 to go. Then he had 300 concubines, so he had 1,000 women he's dealing with. Do you think that would give you some type of wisdom about women? (laughs) So, all these proverbs are learned through experience. And um, it's a blessing to see that He would go through these things through those type of experiences. And then if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's kind of his, that's the called out ones, his confession, where he speaks about going out and seeking to find all knowledge, that he experienced everything there was to experience under heaven to the point of madness. But then he would say at the end of that book, this is the whole duty of man, Fear God and keep His commandments. And He said that through the very experiences that He had gone through. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction. I would like for us to put a value on this type of wisdom. You can't buy it with gold, you can't buy it with precious stones, but God gives it to you freely turn to job 28 and here job this is one of the oldest books in the bible where it talks about all throughout time men have traversed this world and sought out riches they've sought out treasure and so the value of this wonderful book of proverbs far exceeds the very riches that this world can offer you, but it's the riches of the knowledge of God, which we find in Christ Jesus our Savior, that is the ultimate riches. But just to demonstrate that man has always gone out to seek riches, Job put it this way But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? You can go to verse 13. Man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. So he understood that wisdom is not found simply by traversing other lands. It's found in the Word of God, and it's found in God. God is the very essence, the very personification in the Lord Jesus Christ, wisdom. And so you see the value. You've seen, if you read history, man has just been searching for riches in the world, searching for wisdom, seeking those things which would benefit him. But as we know, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a blessed treasure itself to understand that promise. If you're a whosoever, that the difference is that men love darkness and not the light where that actual wisdom exists. So being in the word of God is a place of light where our natural carnal minds are at enmity with God and will not want that type of heavenly spiritual wisdom. We will seek carnal wisdom that will benefit us in the flesh. That's the natural disposition of the human race. So this wisdom and this benefit of the book of Proverbs to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity is a spiritual matter that comes from God. If we truly were seeking after wisdom and true justice and judgment and equity, and equity is that thing where if America was truly seeking to be a wise country and america is often referred to as a woman she would have equity but i think we're 31 trillion dollars in debt so something's wrong there is no equity there is no judgment there's no justice and there's no wisdom amongst our nation the nation that forgets god will be turned into hell but you oh little flock you're blessed you're blessed you have all spiritual heavenly blessings in christ jesus our lord and whom we sit with we sit with christ in heaven sitting and watching the world watching america 31 trillion dollars in debt that can never be put back it's almost next to impossible with god all things are possible i believe if one man if god would give him actually was in a place of authority and said We are sinful and we need to repent. God have mercy upon us. God would do wonderful things. And he does in his local church, and he has throughout all generations. But justice and judgment and wisdom belongs to the Lord, and it belongs to his people. So we get to sit in heavenly places and just watch this whole unfolding of God's uh, drama, his uh, redemption, the drama of redemption, that's what it is, the drama of redemption. So also uh, put up Matthew thirteen forty-four 44 as another proof text of the benefits and blessings of wisdom and value of this wisdom. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found it, he hideth it, and for joy thereof Goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Now, that tells me that's not us going out and looking for treasure and finding it. Let's look at this with gospel lenses. Jesus Christ left the Father, came down, assumed a human nature, and then sought us out as his own treasure. And he left everything, he sold it all, all his glory. To come down in the likeness of sinful flesh to redeem a people for himself. Praise God that we are his treasure. So there's a reciprocal um, thing taking place that he's our treasure and we're his treasure. So there's this uh, recompense, this fair exchange with God, the son. It's a beautiful thing to know that you're his treasure. And if you're his treasure, he's going to let you know about your treasure. It's called the Bridegroom and the Bride. Huge dowries at stake here. And Christ has the biggest dowry of them all. It's eternal life where joys will never end, where every tear will be wiped away, we will forever be with him. It'll be a time of wonderful worship throughout all eternity. But it is like a kingdom, and it is a treasure that we are for him, and he's left his father also, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9 verses 14 through 16. The benefits of wisdom helped out this poor old man that they referred to as poor old man. If you want to put that on the screen, there was a little city. Now, let's just pretend everyone of you are from a little city. Oakland's just a little city. Hayward's just a little city. East Palo Alto's just a little city. Brentwood where I had to move to because I was getting shot at just a little city. There was a little city. Wherever you are, put yourself there in that little city. All right, That little city, we'll call it the world. A few men within it, and there came a great king against it and besieged it. That means he cut everything off. You couldn't get food. You couldn't get necess- uh, necessary things to live. And built great bulwarks against it those things were designed to keep people very fearful do you see that kind of happening today like we're being sieged like everything's you can't even talk about certain things without sensing that maybe you're going to offend somebody i was on a meeting the other night and everyone was identifying themselves as he him and they that and i don't i said when i identify as a purple twinkie does that count It was just crazy to me, but I felt like I was being besieged because everyone else was saying these things. It's like closing in on me, but you can see that these things have always happened. Solomon said it through all of his wisdom. There's nothing new under the sun. That which has been is and that which will be has been nothing new under the sun. So this great king, let's call him Satan, the enemy, the dragon, always against God's people. You can go to verse 15. Now there was found in it a poor wise man. Who is the poor wise man of Scripture? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the poor wise man. See, even Solomon, through all of his 700 wives and 300 concubines and all the things he had to go through, would understand that the poor man exists. He's altogether man. He's altogether God who would come in the disposition, of, uh, dispensation of time and deliver a city. By wisdom, he delivered the city. Here's the, the part that is so scary to me. Yet no one remembered this poor man. No one remembered this same poor man. Is that what we're seeing today? That no one's remembering that Jesus Christ came down into this world, a small city, and he saved us from Satan and delivered us from his besiegement, from the bulwarks that were set against us. We're free men and women in Christ Jesus. We are the Lord's free men. It's a paradox, but we're free and we're a slave of righteousness. But in that we're free. We've been freed. We have been, we were captive and then we've been made captivity to Christ now. We've been transported poured it out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light and now we're truly free because the truth shall set you free and what else uh, then said i wisdom better than strength nevertheless the poor man's wisdom is despised remember who was despised he was despised and rejected by his own people and his words are not heard and that's What I want to drive home tonight, that the words which are in the book of Proverbs are not being utilized as much as they should be, especially with me. I'll speak for myself, but these words are precious because they teach you how to war a good warfare spiritually. They teach you how to deal with the things that are taking place in this world. They show you what things will happen. So you can see there, there are benefits to this wisdom that this poor man had. And if indeed we're seeing Christ as the poor man, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So the word personified, which is Christ, and the Proverbs that we're reading have great benefits to them and will teach us some things. It'll give us purpose. It'll create plans. And it'll Show us what true perfection is. Because when these words, which are a father to a son, are obeyed in perfection, it can only be done by Christ. You can see perfection. And as perfection was being laid out, that perfection was for you. Because remember, salvation is locational. When you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, and you lean not on your own understanding, and you're acknowledging him in all your ways, What's the promise? He directs your steps. Because you're dwelling in perfection, dwelling in the word. The word is perfect. Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you, is what David would say. So purpose, plans, and perfection are seen in the book of Proverbs. This is advice uh, to young men on how to be men, on how to rule your um, situations and how to deal with a world that has gone amok. Purpose. What is the purpose? Let's see Psalm 127, verse 1 on the screen. And you can see how God is building His house, and we are about our Father's business. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the city, The watchman waketh but in vain. So we can see that the importance there is that God has to be in this. We're not just getting this simply for ourselves to benefit solely for the sake of gain, whether um, that gain is physical. It's it's for the spiritual blessing and perfection of the whole church that we're given the book of Proverbs and the whole Bible. And then uh, these plans that God has for us. You can see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you can put that on the screen. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. There's the in part. In Christ Jesus, location. That's where our perfection is. We're perfect in Christ. Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So if there is good works to be done, and that it is ordained that we should walk in them, how shall we know what these good works are and how shall we know how to perform those things which God is talking about here unless we receive instruction from the Word of God? And one of those places is the book of Proverbs. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah. All right, I don't do this much, so I got you guys looking at me and I got to make sure you're with me. I know it's Tuesday night. I've been up since 2 a.m., but I did sleep in the room over there, so I got a little bit of sleep. So purpose, plans, and perfection. Our perfection is in Christ. How do we know that? How do, How can I tell you that in Christ Jesus we're perfect? Turn, uh, First Corinthians, this, these are memory verses that we've all been accustomed to here at Grace. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're in Him, who of God is made unto us. See, these are the blessings. Being in Christ, you have wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and and redemption. Wisdom is the very thing that is has the ability to um, act or respond to things that are taking place in the world to benefit the church. We receive knowledge, and we'll talk about that too, but knowledge is only the thing we learn. It has to be chewed upon and chewed upon and experienced That's why when we talked about Solomon asking the Lord for wisdom, it wasn't something that was just given to him right then and there, and he was wise from that point on. He had to grow into these things, just as you would see with the Lord Jesus Christ, that he had to grow in the knowledge of God, as we see. I think it's in Luke 2.52. So we have our perfection in Christ. Can you put 1 Corinthians 9, verses 25 through 27? Every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. How do you receive these things? It has to be done in temperance. Um, It doesn't come overnight. It has to be done with patience. If we want to strive to be, like the title of the book of Proverbs, Mashal, to be like Christ, if you're striving to be like Christ, we know that He is conforming us into his image. Not at all times, this is pleasant, or it could feel very um, woesome sometimes, but as we strive for mastery, we want to learn about how to be uh, knowledgeable, but not just knowledgeable, but how to uh, be wise people, to be able to perceive things, to be able to look at the landscape of our time, and to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. If God tells us that in Isaiah that he would pick uh, delusions for the people that were rebelling against him, that's Isaiah 61, look at it in your own time. And then the Apostle Paul would affirm Isaiah in uh, Thessalonica by saying um, that he would give the apostate church, which is falling away, over to a strong delusion. Does anyone want to fall into strong delusion tonight? I don't, but it, if God, if, if, if it weren't for the grace of God, we would. That's why we've got to remain humble um, to know that there is this strong delusion taking place upon the apostate church. If you're his elect, you're protected, you're forever his, you cannot lose your salvation. We believe in eternal security, so you're blessed to know that we cannot fall. His people, his elect chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world can never fall into these delusions to where it would take away Your salvation but there are times when we've been tricked i'm sure when we've been snared into somebody trying to hustle us and we fell into the delusion that they were spinning in front of us we all are susceptible to lies and deceptions and book of proverbs are there to make us so we can discern the times and discern what's going on and to know the nature of man to know that man is totally depraved by nature that man by nature does not have our best interest he has his own interest and does not care for the things of others but if we strive for this god will give it to us now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we now this was speaking of sports if you want to be a good boxer you do shadow boxing and you punch the bag and you're getting in shape and your breathing exercises are getting better i'm working on it folks I'm working on it. But I'm striving. For, I'm trying to do it the right way. Eating right, you know, running, swimming, doing those things which are good for my body. Uh, I got to do it the right way. But that's for a corruptible crown. That's something that's going to perish. But we are doing it for an incorruptible crown, which is eternal. So beginnings, uh, this sub point C, we'll move to subpoint C, where... I talk about, uh, here in my notes, real intelligence. I know Pastor Jesse has been talking about artificial intelligence. And what's interesting is that as we go through our lives as the children of God, we fall and we get up. We fall and we get up. We fall and we get up. A just man will fall seven times, yet shall he stand up. And what happens when he falls? What should be happening is is that we're learning from our mistakes. We're learning from our past sin not to do those things again because they cause certain things that hurt us and it hurts other people. And that's what Proverbs should be promoting for his people is that we will make mistakes. We will sometimes fall into sin. We don't desire this. The heart of the believer will always be, be remorseful for sinning. We do not wish to sin that grace may abound, but in real intelligence, in real life intelligence that God has blessed us with according to his word, we learn from these things and we get better at it. We should be getting better, right? Don't they say um, insanity is when you're trying to do the same thing, expecting a different result, but it never is different. It's always the same, but you keep doing it. That's our nature, but in God, we're always growing. There's a growing aspect. We're not getting more holy to where we're more acceptable based upon the things we're doing. That's not what we're saying here. We're learning from the Word of God, which is teaching us to grow in the knowledge and grace of God. And I was talking to pastor about this. Most old preachers, old preachers that have been around for a long, long time will tell you, and I was talking to Brother Arthur about this, there is something that has to do with being authentic and honest about who you are that's a blessing to others. Because if you come off and you're trying to put on a show and put on fronts and you're not being genuine, people can perceive that. And it's not going to help them. But if you're honest and you're trying to put forth the truth through your experience, which Solomon is doing, he did it through the book of ecclesiastes through his confession he'll tell you where he messed up and where he gained knowledge through his mistakes which then became wisdom that he could impart to those throughout all generations after him but uh real intelligence is always growing artificial intelligence is the same way and here's here's how this works you have artificial intelligence and they're programming certain computers that are so megalithic in uh, all of the memory they have that they're taking everything that we know and they'll program it to learn certain languages and then all of a sudden this big grandiose artificial intelligence will start learning a language that they didn't put into the computer and they're scratching their head going why is that well this is where i i, I caution uh, these Silicon Valley uh, big tech people, uh, Elon Musk has done it. If we're created in the imago Day in the image of God, and we fall and we make mistakes, and if we're God's people, we're learning from these things. History is uh, written from Genesis all the way to Malachi, from Matthew to Revelation, showing all of the historical data of man, and all of his huge, egregious sins. If we're not learning from that, and we're not growing, that would not be a good thing. But if we're created in the imago Dei, and we create things ourselves, if we're creating his image, but if we're not saved, and then we're trying to create things because we're creating his image, they're going to start doing the very things that we do. And then it will become destructive because it's not done in wisdom and in knowledge according to god's word so the, the the tech guy is is walking by this window every day and he's looking into it and he's seeing these yellow balls that were supposed to be picked out through all these multicolored balls and he's scratching his head and he says this computer's never going to figure it out and then one day he goes by and he says all the yellow balls in one corner and he's saying how did that happen and if <clears throat> if it's anything like us and if we can see what we've done the destruction of our environment uh the nuclear bomb all these things how much more would be the thing that we create would it actually benefit us or would it actually be our demise so it's something to be very um uh, cautious about and we warn as the church it's there is a place to speak against these things but the beginnings uh, The beginnings, there's beginnings with us. When we become saved, it starts with knowledge. The wise man will hear. So we're listening, 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 listening. The wise man will hear and will increase learning. And the man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. So these things would be dark to us if we couldn't understand the light of Christ our Savior. And then it goes on to talk about avoiding evil men. Now, avoiding evil men. Where does this start? Let's first turn to Isaiah 5.20. Because he goes on, to says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father and forsake not the law of your mother. In Isaiah five twenty it says woe well, unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Well don't we see that everywhere? so that's the end result with the unsaved man but with the believer we know that we've been told here my son hear the instruction of your father and forsake not the law of your mother where begin if there's a father and a mother that means it should be starting at home now that is not to say that i come from a dysfunctional family i guess we can call it that i don't even know if that's a biblical word but very dysfunctional so um, my mother and my father were not instructing me in the ways of the Lord, but I do remember God taking me out and using people outside of my family and bringing me to churches and planting a seed all throughout my life through his providence. But if everything was to be the ideal, we would see that this starts at home to hear the instruction of your father and forsake not the law of your mother. We see that in Deuteronomy Four nine, As the beginning of where these things should be started, only take heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of your life, but teach them your sons and your sons' sons. We've been going through the book of uh, Exodus, and we've been seeing how God has used Moses and how they would forget so quickly the very things that God was doing, such as you know, separating the Red Sea, walking on dry ground, these things all throughout history, quickly things are forgotten. Remember the poor man in Ecclesiastes, they forgot how he had saved them from this king that was seeking to hurt them, and he was despised for his words. So that's why it's important to keep... Going back to history, remember history means uh, his story. It's his story, the unfolding of the drama of redemption. And so we can see that in our own lives. We have to remind each other of the very things that historically have happened so that they don't happen again. As the old, uh, I believe it was um, a philosopher said, those who forget their history will be doomed to repeat it. Something along those lines. And so it's important that we have reminders of the new covenant, the new covenant. Hebrews ten sixteen. if you put that up on the screen. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Uh, Pastor Jesse had asked, uh, or he admonished us, that if there was one that could... Uh, to say the Ten Commandments and have them in sequential order. I had to question whether I could do that. I, I'm not going to say I can because I'd mess up somehow. I'd put it in very small. Um, Thou shalt not steal. You know, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's everything. But all those things, you may not be able to articulate them, but as the believer, when you break those things, there is the Holy Spirit that checks you on those things. Have you noticed that? So those things are definitely written upon your heart. They're even written upon the unsaved man, that even unsaved civilizations, wherever they may be, understand that it's not right to steal. They'll tell you it's not right to steal. Well, how do they know that? If we're just a big bang and, you know, these people were primordial ooze and turned into a fish, became a monkey and then a man. (laughs) Um, How do they know that? Well, then you're... Your psychologists, your crazy intellectuals will say, well, that's just been taught to them and that's how they see things. And it's just uh, a total denial of the truth, which is we are God's creation. And um, these things are are written on our hearts. So we, we know right from wrong. But we want to be able to use these things so that we can benefit both ourselves and those who are in our lives. And we're told that we can do that. So we need to be reminded of this covenant that God has made with us, that he has written these things upon our hearts. So in the Proverbs, as you read them, there is an understanding that the Holy Spirit will, like the paraclete, he'll come up alongside you and remind you of certain things that you should know just by being created in the image of God. Also, Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 through 30. Take my yoke upon you. Now there is a yoke here. So in verse nine of Proverbs chapter one, for they shall be an ornament of grace onto your head and chains about your neck. God, when He puts these things upon you, it's like a yoke. It's not a hard task master yoke, but it is a yoke. You do need these things to be reminded. Um, some people uh, remind themselves by putting tattoos of things on their bodies. That's what they do. Like, I don't have any tattoos. I, I want to put a big ship on my chest here, and, you know. But I, I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> I've always thought about that. Isn't that funny? Because this is like a ship. You know, we're going through the sea, currency, all that stuff. But God puts something on us. To remind us, it's not seen, but he wants us to put it on. And it's the yoke of God's grace. It's the yoke of the new covenant. It's the yoke that Christ puts upon us. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 through 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. So if we know that the word of God is Christ personified. And we take the Proverbs. We're, we're taking a yoke because we're starting to learn things. And with much knowledge comes much sorrow. That's part of what happens is that there is sorrow that, that takes place when you start learning the true nature of man, uh, God's redemption plan, um, how dark and evil the times are. These things can be um, sad to you, but that's why you need to just continue to look at the covenant. God has a great plan for you and that we're going to be with him and we'll understand these things that maybe where we're lacking in understanding, one day we'll be with him. But we need to remind ourselves of the gospel and the hope that we have which is found in Christ Jesus and then go out and be evangelical about it to tell others. Now, let's get into what's called the great conspiracy. Now, who believes in conspiracies? All right. So... We just went through one of the craziest times in uh, my life, which was COVID. Um, watching the world shut down, you know, um, trying to make sense of everything. Um, I don't want to get much into that. You guys have heard from Pastor about things that are going on. I just simply want to come from Scripture and let you know that conspiracies do happen. Uh, every one of you have conspired to do something. I'm sure of that. When I was a kid, there were some beers in the garage, and it wasn't my garage, it wasn't my friend's garage. And we got together and said, man, let's go take those beers. He leaves his garage open. We were conspiring. I'm not recommending you drink beer, but as kids, we did these things, right? For to be honest and genuine, right? Any of you ever do something like that? Okay. You can be quiet about it. We all, we won't tell nobody. No one's listening. Um, but that's what we did. That's our nature to conspire and do things and crawl out our windows at night and go meet up with somebody or something. I never did that. So... Um, The conspiracy, I want to give you two examples of big conspiracies, right? Where big, great, grandiose people conspire to do evil things. Just so you know, when we're continually going through this proverb, it says, My son, in verse 10, if sinners entice you, consent thou not. When they're saying, come with us, when they're saying, let's, let's, let's conspire together. Let us lay and wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Two examples in Scripture, just so you know, remember, God's, let God be true and every man a liar. In his word, he gives us examples of some horrific things that took place. And one of them is in Exodus chapter 1. I'll give you two examples of of great conspiracies that were horrible in nature. Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Sephra, and the name of the other was Puah. And he said, when you do the office of midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, when, then you shall kill him. So this was infanticide. This was killing the baby after it had come out of the womb. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. As Lord Longshanks once said in the, the movie, uh, what was that one with Mel Gibson, uh, Braveheart? He said, if you can't get them out, you breed them out. Remember he said that about the Scots? Well, that's essentially what's happening here with Pharaoh. Try and take him over by getting their women. And you get their women, you, you, you kill off the, the male child. You'll eventually turn them all into uh, their cultural Egyptians. But the midwives feared God. This is the blessing because the midwives feared God. When you see babies coming out of the womb, that's a... that's. That's a serious thing. You know, you're seeing God's creation come out of a woman and creating life. It's a, a very beautiful thing. Uh, so they feared God because they would see creation taking place and did not, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but save the men children alive. So there's the conspiracy. The Pharaoh was trying to conspire with the midwives to slaughter the innocent child that would come out of the womb of the Israelites. The Hebrews. Does that sound like a crazy conspiracy? Well, that's happening today. It's happening today. And then we have another example in Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 29 through 30. We'll just do a couple more of these and we'll wrap it up. Uh, No, that's not the one, sorry. Matthew chapter 2, verses 16. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Remember when our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the wise men had come looking for him. They went to Herod, and Herod, when he saw that he was mocked by these wise men that came from the east, these wise men, was exceeding wrath. He was very angry and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So Herod had had soldiers that he conspired with to go out and kill all of these young children just so that he could kill Christ. And that's exactly what's taking place today. Anytime you see uh, death being executed in a way that is like this, it's because they're trying to kill off life Remember the scriptures say, "Those who hate me love death." That's what the Bible teaches in regards to wicked men, and so we're reminded in verses eight through nineteen to avoid evil men. And so there are conspiracies that take place. They tell they tell um, they tell those who are um, in their midst. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance in verse 13. We shall fill our houses with spoil. So I remember there was a guy with the tattoos, talking about tattoos tonight. He had a big tree on his arm. And it said, money is the root of all evil. And I said, wait a minute, man, you got that wrong it's not money that's the root of all evil it's the love of money it's the love of material gain and that love which is corrupted will actually shed innocent blood to get more so solomon in all his wisdom said money answers all things There's nothing wrong with money it's just a piece of paper or a precious stone or a The metal, precious metal that can buy things, exchange, barter, whatever that might be, whatever currency is being used, it can answer things. But when it's loved to where it's idolized, then it becomes a place where conspiracies take place and people will actually murder and kill people to gain this type of money. And they say, cast in your lot among us, let us all have one purse. This is your Karl Marx uh, Communist Manifesto here, written in Holy Scripture. They have one purse. Everything would be equal to them. Well, what you find in in time is they end up killing each other. Um, My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain your foot from their path. Now, I want to end on this note that this great conspiracy, what is a conspiracy? Well, definition would tell us that it has a negative connotation. It would mean to, to create a plan that would be unlawful, to create a plan that would be a scheme to do something that may hurt another person uh, or it might... Be something that would cause you to gain in an unlawful way. But if I'm to take the conspiracy, and remember we're created in the image of God, and say, is there a bigger conspiracy with God and His Son and the Holy Spirit? To where I wouldn't say it's a conspiracy in the fact of it being a negative connotation. But I will say this, put up, this is, this is where I hope you guys can rejoice, Acts chapter 2, verse 23, that God supersedes all of mankind's wickedness, and He has told us that He has planned all these things out for His own glory. It says Him, that is Christ, Christ, His Son, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. What do we read in Genesis chapter 1? Let us make man in our image. There was a counsel in eternity past between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they came up with a plan. They came up with a scheme. It's God's redemptive plan. The drama of redemption unfolding before our eyes right to where we are right now in this very present hour. And it was determined by God and the council. They struck up an everlasting covenant It was ordered in all things and sure where God the Father would elect a people. God the Son would come down and save those people from their sin. And God the Holy Spirit would go out And seek them out. Put a stamp and seal them on their forehead. And let them know they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? There's no one going to beat that. Okay? No one's going to beat that. All the craziness, the Fauci's and the Bill Gates and the depopulationist and the eugenicist. Ain't happening. You guys will have to answer to Him who was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God and the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That Matthew 28, verse 19, verse, where it says, baptize them in the name singular, this God is a triune God that can never be split up, equal in essence, subordinate in purpose to redeem a people for themselves. You have taken, now there's man's responsibility you have taken through your conspiracy, your conspiracy, which God allowed, by your wicked hands have crucified and slain him. God's grandiose plan was unfolding in time and man conspired under the sovereign decree of a greater covenant, ordered in all things to save a people for himself. There's no escaping God's justice judgment and equity in Christ Jesus our Lord isn't that a beautiful thing to know that God is, is, is well aware of all conspiracies that are taking place and we can truly trust that all things are working together to good for good to those who love God and are called according to his grace and don't just take it on grandiose scales saints bring it down bring it down Now, maybe one of you have a rebellious child and you're wondering how in the world am I going to deal with this? Maybe you are having trouble with your spouse. Maybe you had trouble, you know, you came to grace and you're still dealing with troubles. God has a plan and these things are just designed to keep you focused on the one who had a bigger plan and that was for the Son of God to be crucified for your sin, and and He has great plans for you, and there's a purpose involved with it. And the Book of Proverbs is a great place to look into and see how this thing is being uh, unfolded for us. Um, perhaps there will be a part two. It'll be um, we'll begin with wisdom's first speech and how it calls out to men and women in the evangelical way to come to this wisdom and learn of this wisdom so that you can understand the beauty of Scripture. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening and thank you for this time. And We thank you and uh, we pray that uh, you'll bless the rest of this evening through the prayers that will be requested by the saints. In Jesus' precious name, amen.